Welcome back, my orchids. I've decided that's what I'm going to call the listeners of this show. So very, very good news. Fluid Thoughts is now available on Spotify and SoundCloud. Be sure to tune in every week. You know, to be real with you, I don't have a set day, but that is coming forth. That is forthcoming. I'm doing my very best to figure out a specific day where I'm going to get in the studio record by studio i mean the guest room in my house i'm gonna get in the studio and record and like be really really consistent because i want to get an episode to you guys out every single week especially since so much is happening and i kind of want to be like a good distraction for you guys amidst like amidst there's so many everyone's like saying a mist and a mid now but like during all this like pandemonium and pandemic I want to just sort of be like a calming, soothing voice through the storm for you guys. So be sure to check me out on Spotify and SoundCloud. Follow me on Twitter at Fluid Flower and on Instagram, simply underscore Effie. And uh, yeah, let's get into the show. Welcome to episode two of my podcast. I'm your host, Fluid Flower, and you are now tuned into Fluid Thoughts. Before we begin, I just want to give a gentle reminder for everybody to remain hopeful in this time of COVID-19. We're living in uncertain times. If you know that you're not sick, you have not been in contact with a sick person, please social distance yourself. If you know that you have been in contact with someone who has been sick, uh, self-isolate. If you are feeling symptoms, if you are able to get tested, get tested, but just do your best to monitor your symptoms and um, actual quarantine yourself. You know, it, it goes a long way to use like the right verbiage for the things that are going on. But most most, most, most importantly, this thing is like changing our lives. And that's like a real, that's a real thing. You know, we have companies who are trying to, oh, well, will, will this all be over in two weeks? I'm like, mm, I don't expect it to be over in two weeks. And if it is, I would be quite shocked. But for right now, we have to do what's best for us. And I know it's a scary time. So just do your best to just check in with yourself, check in with your mental health and do everything that you can to survive, to live on to the next day compassion kindness and empathy go a long way so everybody just you know do your part to stay calm cool and collected and most importantly wash your hands never thought that in beyonce's 2020 that i would be reiterating to wash your hands but hey different strokes for different folks but now we all have to most certainly make sure we do our part okay that was my little spiel about that so in today's episode entitled hot combs and relaxers can make a grown man cry dissecting hair black hair when it comes to the discussion of black hair i often feel that the conversation is always taken to the example of good hair versus bad hair or um the historical aspect of where all of this came from but i want to frame this episode speaking on why i had low hair esteem and how the unattainable beauty standard was projected on me from a very young age and how i learned internalized texturism length comparison and the quality of hairstyle to put myself and others down. So we're going to break this down in a segment I like to call fluid thoughts on the bullshit. So if you don't know what texturism is, I'll give you a quick background to it. Texturism can be compared as the hair version of colorism. It's when loosely coiled, very curly natural hair is seen as more desirable or favored over natural hair that is coarse, kinky, and tightly coiled. I literally remember walking around as a child being praised for my hair until like I wasn't. It was, oh, your hair is so soft and curly when I was three years old. And then when I was five, it was, oh, you nappy, kinky headed ass bitch. Oh, your hair, you just, 
<laughs> what? Well, people weren't calling me that when I was five. But um, I definitely remember hearing the people who were allowed to do my hair. Oh, her hair is so kinky and it's so thick and it's just so hard to work with. Just permit. Like there's nothing you can do with it because we're using this standard that your hair is supposed to be more manageable in a, in a society that already deems your hair as just bad. But for me, my hair was not only how like the world saw me, but it was a way that I saw myself. My hair was a measure of how much I loved myself. And you're growing up in a world where kinky hair is not desirable. Like for example, I remember other children being praised for their hair being curly and soft. And so they had hair that was what is considered to be desirable. A lot of people don't know that that mindset comes, from, it does come from slavery. Africans were brought over, they shaved your head. It was a way to take away your identity. And at the same time, when you see the, the rising of more biracial children being born into slavery, what they call the mulatto class, when they would sell those slave women, it was, excuse me, when they would sell those enslaved women, always have to watch your verbiage because they were not slaves, they were just enslaved. But when they would sell these enslaved women and you would look on the slave bill and it would say mulatto woman with nice, good, curly hair. So now here you have the concept of good and bad hair. And that's been internalized so that you pass that down from generation to generation. And you also see that in the continent, you see it in the colonies, you see it everywhere where slavery and, col and colonialism was rampant. And that was instilled in our parents and our grandparents, our great grandparents, and it passed all the way down to us. And so now you have this generational trauma thing of people thinking that the way that they naturally look when you are more visibly black, when you're more visibly African, that you are, that there's some, something wrong with you. Oh, Ephemena, you nappy headed ass, <laughs> whatever, whatever. It's calling me all sorts of names because I was very much so visibly African very much so visibly black. And I know a lot of people, even if they're not like Nigerian or, or Ghanaian or whatever, being a black girl in America with thick kinky hair is undesirable. And we internalize that and you have kids who learn that at home and then they spread that to you when you get there. Even little boys, it's, to, you know, to an extent, texturism is also tied in with misogyny. I remember uh, this boy I went to school with, he told me that I was a practice girl because I was too dark and my hair was too kinky for a boy to ever take me seriously. Y'all, this was in the fifth grade. I know who the guy is and I actually follow him on, in, on Facebook and Instagram stuff, but I'm not going to call his name out. But I remember him saying that to me. I remember being told by um, substitute teachers that girls with my kind of hair, these were male substitute teachers, that girls with my kind of hair would like are unlovable. And we would have to do, we would have to get perms and make sure we had really, really soft hair in order for a guy to like you. Because if he can't run his hands through your hair, then what kind of woman are you? Like, I mean, this is the stuff I'm hearing before I had a period. This is how bad <laughs> this stuff gets. Hearing that every day, that shit makes you feel less than a person. And you see the girls who you're friends with, you're not mad or jealous of these girls, but you see them with the hair that everyone is talking about. And you see them being praised. And it's like, well, shit, what about me? Am, am I, am I ugly? Am I, am I that terrible that everyone just feels the need to gang up on me? What I didn't realize is that these people 
are just repeating what they heard in their own households. They're just repeating what they see in the media. They're just repeating what other people have instilled to them because that's what people do to children. They project their own insecurities, their own faults onto kids, and then kids just come back and they repeat it to everybody else and they grow up with it thinking it's the status quo. That's why when people say things like racism is taught, it's not inherited because there are countless of many stories that I can even tell you I remember where my sister one day, she said she was in a store. She was like six years old. I wasn't even born yet. Or well, I think I was born. I just, I was like a baby. And she was talking about how she was playing with this little girl in the store. All of a sudden, the little girl sees her mom and she's like, well, I have to stop playing with you because my mom says I can't play with brown kids. Like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, so, and it's the same thing paralleled when it comes to texturism. Those of us who have been affected by colonization, by the transatlantic slave trade, for whatever reason, we feel the need to adhere to the status quo of white supremacy. But we don't have to do that anymore. So thankfully, you know, we're today we're living in an age where, you know, we've got YouTube and we've got all these natural hair naturalistas that uplift 4C hair. But when I was growing up, that wasn't the thing. When I was growing up, relaxers were the norm. I remember as a child watching the Tyra Banks show where they had a doctor come on and they talked about like the ammonium thiglocalate and the sodium hydroxide and all the crazy shit that's inside of relaxers. And I remember them putting an empty can of what is it called? An empty can of, of Coke or Diet Coke or something. And they let it sit in the sodium hydroxide and it literally ate through the metal. And he, this white man was so confused. And he was like, why would anybody put this in their hair? Why would anybody do this to themselves? Like this is torture. And he was absolutely fucking right because them goddamn relaxers were absolute torture. My God. I remember the chemical burns, the scabs. I remember going through puberty and I remember I had I had pimples, like just random pimples, like on my hairline. Child, after I got that perm, them pimples weren't there no more. The fuck? <laughs> like the, the, just the amount of, of torturous things that you put yourself through. I remember getting my hair hot combed and literally the steam from the hot comb burning my ears, not the hot comb itself, just the damn steam. And we do this to children as young as three years old. I think that's when, did I get my first perm at three? I have to ask my mom. The memory is so different because what you interpret is different from somebody else's perspective, but then it'll be different from some another person's perspective that was there. But I remember being very young, sitting in between my mom's legs, getting perms, getting hot combs, getting all of these things, pressing curls, all of these things done to my hair to make it more manageable. But manageable for who? I throw around this word manageable. But it's really about making it seem more desirable in a world that, again, does not work for your hair type. A world that was that was meant to silence you, a world that was meant to put you in your place because you are marginalized. So when I tell you that I am so thankful for these children nowadays that they don't have to go through what we went through, my God. Like I, I remember I would base my days as a child where if I didn't get made fun of for my hair that day, oh, it was a good day. Because most days kids are making fun of me because of my hair. It took years and years and years for me to undo the trauma of thinking that my hair was bad so that I could actually enjoy being who I was, so that I could actually accept who I was. And we'll get more into that later. Another way that I experienced low hair esteem is from length comparison. So your hair length almost determined your femininity. I don't remember having long hair as a child. 
I remember my hair always being so damaged from relaxers and jerry curls and tight braids that I never could grow my hair past my earlobes. So when I was in the fifth grade, my hair was so damaged, my mom had to cut everything off. And the way she cut it was... It was like if you had like a short, a very short hairstyle where it was like the shortest length would be in the back and the longest in the front would have, you have like two little bangs on the side. But what happens is when you have new growth and you have processed hair on top, it doesn't really sit like that. You kind of look like, um, what's that, what's that little clown from the Simpsons? Like Krusty the Clown. So, um, I remember walking into school that day and all of these kids were like laughing at me and they called me cockroach. I remember little boys comparing me to a man. I even got called the T word because your hair length essentially determined your femininity. Your measure of being a woman was determined about, was determined by how long your hair could grow. I remember this one specific boy, we'll call him Gigi. And Gigi, that's so crazy because those are his initials. Um, But he probably won't even ever figure this out. <laughs> but, uh, and if he does, fuck you. Because you like me and my life a living hell. Uh, Gigi told me one day, he was like, Man, Femina, that's a, that's a shame that your hair is so short. My little brother, three years old, his hair longer than yours. Mind you, Gigi had like, he had great hair. Like it was always pulled back into a bun. He had this huge Afro pup in the back. He had amazing, amazing long hair. So he would use that to play into that insecurity that I had. Again, and mind you, he would use that against girls specifically. Like, I got better hair than you. I got this, like, just always finding a way to put others down. That shit was so crazy to me. But he said that shit to me all the time. Having short hair and being traumatized every single day from other people, I use the word trauma a lot, but it's real. It really is a trauma when someone is just telling you that how you naturally are, you don't belong in this world. And so like you, you go through this identity crisis at such a young age. And so I remember doing like the weirdest shit to make my hair grow. And, you know, back in the early, early 2000s, late nineties, I didn't have YouTube yet and really didn't have internet connection. So I relied on like old wives tales. So for you to get you to like grow your hair. So I remember hearing, oh, grease makes your hair grow. So I would go and I'll get grease, like hair grease, like Murray's Dax, do grow all these different oils and stuff. And I'll put it in my hair every night because, oh, because grease was supposed to make your hair grow. It didn't make your hair grow. All that shit did. It, first of all, most grease is nothing but petroleum jelly with a little bit of menthol in it. You know, I have read studies about like, like camp forest oils, like menthol and rosemary and those having effects on your hair to stimulate hair growth, but there's not enough rosemary and menthol in that damn Murray's Dax grease. Child, please. I would just wake up every night looking like a glazed donut. Like I would just, I would, it, it, the things you do, um, to acquire long hair at some point when you look back at it in retrospect, it just flabbergasts you. Um, I think the craziest thing that I'd ever done or ever heard rather was that Vagisil, the cream used to treat yeast infections would help make your hair grow. Now this was around YouTube. So I think I was in like maybe sixth, seventh grade when I heard this. So I remember even telling that to my mom and she tried it. She said all it did it just made your hair smell like fish and it just caused a burning sensation. So uh, that, that was a no go for me. Like I just, 
that was not like I wanted to try it to get long hair. So even just wanting to try it was bad enough. But because it hurt my mom, she didn't let me like try it. So shout out to you, mama. Um, and then also I remember hearing, oh, when you cut your hair, it make your hair grow faster. So mama, I was like, if, if that was the case, if that was true, I should have Rapunzel type hair by now because my mom was always cutting my goddamn hair. Shit. Child, please. Yeah, ain't shit ain't grow. And, but little did I know it wasn't growing because we just kept doing things to damage it. Why would it grow when you're continuously putting sodium hydroxide and ammonium thioglycate in the mo- in the form of perms or rather relaxers on top of your head when you're not just allowing your hair to be? And, and I've even had the theory looking back, if you want to think of like on a conscious level, your hair has a mind of its own. Your hair not taken to relaxers or your hair damaging, that's the ancestors way of telling you that this shit don't belong in our head. It was not going to fly. It don't belong in our head. And now, and now that I think about it, I'll say this retroactively. This is what I believe. But in today's society, I believe that a woman can do whatever she wants with her hair. You just have to be smart about it. But back then, oh child, we didn't need to be doing none of that stuff, but we didn't know. We didn't know any better. So when you know better, you do better. So I was doing all this to my hair, trying to do the vagisil, trying to put grease in my hair every single day, not knowing that your hair length is largely determined by your genetics. If your ancestors, regardless of, regardless of the coarseness or the kinkiness of your hair, if you had long hair in your ancestry, if it was a dominant trait, you were most likely going to have long hair. So I wasn't fortunate enough to experience that because I was always, my hair was always being damaged, always being overprocessed. Not only do you, not only do you put relaxers in your hair, but you're constantly fried ironing it. You're constantly putting it into some style that causes stress and pressure here. So of course your hair is going to break off, but I was so willing and ready to do anything to get long hair. I remember coming home and crying after being bullied after a long day of school. I'm like bullied. I remember this one specific day I came home crying, wishing and praying to God. I was like, God, why couldn't you make one of my parents white German or Brazilian? How come I couldn't be like half Nigerian and like, half Italian so that I could have nice hair and light eyes and light skin so kids wouldn't make fun of me. It got that bad. And I never knew what my offense was other than simply just existing. I went to school. I'm not saying that I was a, I mean, I was an amazing kid, but I'm not saying that I was like totally innocent and perfect, but my only offense was simply just existing in a world that didn't want me to exist. But like I said before, I wasn't always the victim. I definitely remember playing a role in emotionally harming people about their hair, which brings me to my last point of hair quality and hairstyle quality. Because let me tell you something after the whole fifth grade debacle and really just like elementary school, by the time I got to sixth and seventh grade, I typically did not wear my hair out. I either had cornrows or I had me a nice sew in. I had me, um, what's it called? Some fresh micros. Oh, mama didn't play. Mama didn't play. But no matter what hairstyle I had, I was still judged every single day for not wearing my own hair. But at that point, I didn't give a fuck because I was like, y'all can talk about me not having my own hair, but the hair that I do purchase and buy, oh, it's on point and you gonna know that. And so 
you sort of come into like this world where if you have really good weaves and really good braids, you become the standard and then now you get to judge other people. And like if your extensions, if your braids, if your weave wasn't on point, you got laughed at. I was fortunate enough for the fact that my mom is a trained cosmetologist and she specialized in braids and sew-ins. So I would go to school looking fucking amazing and then I would pick another girl's because their hair looked like they literally got it out of a shoebox. But it's okay. (laughs) I say it's okay now, but back then I, I was a fucking demon. I was terrorizing these children, not realizing that they didn't have access to the person who has the type of knowledge about braiding hair and sewing in hair and make and blending in your leave out or doing full closures. A lot of people didn't have access to that. I had more access. I had someone who knew what they were doing, who had to do my hair. They had, could, they had to pay for that stuff. I got my stuff done for free. As long as we had braiding hair, oh, I was set. But my God, I was a complete asshole. I was a complete shithead to the people who didn't have that. I remember one time in high school, oh, especially in high school, I saw this one girl. Her hair wasn't particularly done very well, in my opinion. And I remember I was joking with one of my friends and I said, child, Her leave out looked like Miss Seeley and the back of her head looked like a fake ass Beyonce. I said that to her and I felt really shitty. I'm sorry about that, love. I shouldn't have said that shit about you. I mean, again, you know, to each their own. But at the same time, um, she heard me and I I saw her storm off and I was like, oh shit, I think she like heard me over that for her. And I don't think I ever saw her again, but I remember making comments like that to people who had really, really shitty hair because I was in a position to where I could judge them because my hair looked nice. So all of the stuff that I internalized and that people did to me, I ended up at some point in my life doing it to other people instead of just being not a better person, but just realizing that, hey, this felt shitty when people did it to me, so maybe I shouldn't do it to others. But I didn't know any better back then. When stuff like that happens, we are unconsciously doing the work of the people who have held or or rather the people who have created the status quo. You're subconsciously and autonomously doing the work of your oppressor, the people who taught you to hate yourself. So not only do you now hate yourself, but you're now spreading that out to others. And in a world where we need so much empathy and compassion, especially towards our own people, that was not the smartest move for me to make. Like I was also so broken and so insecure about myself that I felt the need to put somebody else down. And that's not, that shit ain't cool. At some point you have to have the self-realization and the self and the self check to be like, Hmm, maybe I should mind my own business. Hmm. If I'm not help, if I'm not willing to help her and, and, and give her what she needs, why am I sitting here making a comment about it just to get my, my jokes out and, and just to get a laugh on. There's plenty of other things to laugh at, but people's emotions and their daily appearance, trying to just fend through a world that, that was literally made set up for them to fail. That shit ain't cool. We do it to our peers. We do it to adults. We even do it to children. Leave them kids alone. But no, it's so deeply ingrained in us that we have to do it because this is how we, this is how we go into survival mode. Cause we know what lies ahead when we just, when we're just authentically ourselves, we know the, the trials that come with just being authentically ourselves. I think now in today's society, we understand the benefits of being authentically ourselves, but back then we didn't know. And I can't, I, I literally cannot stress that enough about how the early nineties and the two, early two thousands, even the mid two thousands are a completely different time than when they are today right now. Junior year of high school is when all of this started to turn around for me. I'll talk more about it into the story I'm telling you, but 
I ended up cutting off all of my hair. And that was so liberating and so freeing for me because at some point I just got so tired of all of the mess, all of the internalization, all of the self-hate, all of the standard that people put on me to say that this is what you need to do to, to for us to accept you. And I think at some point I was just like, why the fuck am I working towards y'all acceptance? And not to sound a bit arrogant, but people who I'm smarter than, I have a higher reading level than you. <laughs> I'm like treating people and I'm not trying to, but I think that that's what it was for me in my process. I was just like, I'm, I'm really listening to the motherfuckers who can't read. I'm listening to the people who are having children at age 12. Like I, at some point you have to realize that people are just going to talk and you can't let that affect you. So I cut off all my hair and I kept it short for a while. Um, but slowly but surely, like you really, really have to do the work of undoing what you understand as the standard of beauty and doing the work to just do what works for you. Cause what happens is now I'm in high school and I've cut my hair and YouTube now becomes a thing. And so I start to get hair envy and I start to go into the same frenzy of, well, how can I make my Afro get bigger? And how can I have loose natural curls like these other girls who have loose natural curls? And so again, putting that standard of beauty on myself, even within the natural hair community, because I'm like, oh, this is now, okay, now people are accepting our natural hair, but now there are guidelines to how they accept the natural hair. Now we really see like, oh, well, you can be natural, but we like the the natural that's like softer and curly, and it's still within the standard of beauty that was born out of slavery. And if you do have 4C hair, your 4C hair better be down to your ass and be long as hell for us to accept it in, in our society. So again, I was like, well, shit, found myself going through the same fucking things. I was a product junkie buying castor oil and shea butter and marumu butter, Cantu shea butter, um, Miss Jessie's curl cream, uh, shea moisture products. Like you just literally, you start redoing the same things to your hair that you were doing when you were, when you were on that creamy crack having the same standard of of this is what is deemed as as acceptable instead of just like no this is the natural hair that comes out of my head and I'm just gonna wear it out of my head naturally (laughs) like I know that sounds redundant but sometimes the simplest things make the biggest impact because not everybody is trying to have hair that resembles somebody like Beyonce and in in terms of what what we deem as acceptable instead of just having the hair that grows out of your head and it's okay 4C hair is, is beautiful, but I couldn't embrace that all the way. And then at some point, um, when I got to college, I, I just got tired of doing my hair all together. I was like, I got to twist this shit every night. I got to wrap, I'm not wrap this shit, but I have to do braid outs, twist outs. I can still, you know, manipulate my hair, but I'm, I'm still dealing with, um, oh, well shit, I'm, let me get some box braids. Cause I don't feel like dealing with it. You spending money on box braids or you, you paying someone to do your hair. I'm like, oh. Damn, like when is it ever going to stop? So for me and my natural hair journey, the next step was naturally getting locks. Because I remember my professor, Professor LaFran Fort, shout out to her. She was like, child, if you come to my class late one more time, you're going to drop a letter grade. You have an A, but you show up every day at 830. And she's like, why are you showing up late every day? I was like, oh, because my hair, <laughs> girl, like you see how this twist out looks? And she's like, no, ma'am, you come to my class on time. And so later on that year, um, that was my sophomore year in college. I walked down to the beauty shop and I went and got me some cone coils 
because I went and got locks. But guess what? Because I did not take the time to undo all of that internalization. I suffered the same thing with my lock journey. How can I make my locks go grow faster? How can I uh, have long, luxurious locks? Yeah, with time and patience, dumbass. Like people who have hair down to their ass didn't grow like that overnight. Again, your growth rate, your length, that's all predetermined by your genetics. And I started to, again, do the same fucking things I was doing when I was permed, when I was loose natural, when I all this like buying different oils and buying different uh, products for locks and retwisting my hair every single two to three days. Like I was just doing the fucking most because I just wanted to attain this long, beautiful, luxurious hair, no matter what. And at some point when I was like YouTubing all these videos, I saw, um, a Damien Walter and Yanni the Lockologist. I started watching their videos and their videos really helped me to undo all of the stuff that I was talking about in terms of trying to attain this beauty standard where I just listened to their advice where it was, it was essentially saying to just tell me, telling me to calm the fuck down. Like your hair is your hair and your process is your process. And it's no one, it's like no one else. And that's what makes the journey so unique. And their advice to me or really to everybody, but what it was is that it's unnecessary to retwist your hair that damn often, you know, societal pressure marginalizes people with locks to tell them that even if you have them you have to have it nicely retwisted and each hair has to be in place which is untrue but the biggest takeaway was just enjoying your process and enjoy your hair this is the first time where I'm not worried about the length of my hair or how it looks or how re how well retwisted it is because to be honest to twist your hair that often it gets expensive I think my first retwist ever, I think I paid $65 and I was paying $65 for like a while. Cause I would go in every six weeks. Then after a while, when your hair gets longer, because you're maintaining your hair, you're not like, you're not doing crazy stuff to it anymore. Your hair is just like growing. Oh, it's 75 now. And then at some point the standard was just like a hundred dollars. I'll be eight years this coming September. If I go twist my hair now, I have my hair is down. It's a little bit past my bra strap. I kid you not, it is $200 to retwist my hair professionally at a shop. Girl, don't nobody got time for that. Nobody has time. I also learned how to do my own retwist. There's a beauty in that, in that independence of just being able to take care of what needs to be taken care of and not having somebody charge you an arm and a leg and the water bill for you to sit down in their chair for two and a half hours to wash and retwist and then not even condition it and, and deep condition it the way that you want them to. I know a specific salon I'm talking about over here in North Houston, but they shall not be named. But since the fact that they're the only shop in North Houston, that's them. But anyway, my point is <laughs> for anybody dealing with these hair anxieties and these societal pressures, just know that your hair is your hair and it's your process and you're beautiful with and without it. Child, if this life has taught me nothing, but just find the happiness wherever you can. And you don't have to live your life to benefit and please other people. If what you see when you look in the mirror is pleasing to you and it causes no harm to nobody else, then do you, baby. Then do you. For a lot of us, the status quo isn't meant for us. We're not meant to uphold it. We're not meant to keep it. We're really meant to do our own thing. And that's part of our journey. That's part of our purpose is to do our own thing. And lastly, always remember and understand that there is nothing wrong with the hair texture that grows out of your head.
nothing wrong with it at all. Whether you're 3C, 4C, 5B, XB, if you're an alien, it don't matter. Ain't nothing wrong with your head. The way God made you is perfectly fine. We're going to take a quick commercial break. I'll be right back after shamelessly plugging my podcast and my other media outlets. Today's episode of Fluid Thoughts is brought to you by FluidFlowerMedia.com. Remember when I said I would have original content for you to enjoy? Well, on March 31st, Fluid Flower Media will have a Patreon page. I'll have more creative nonfiction readings, audiobooks, and other written content to help you release your inner flower. So on March 31st, head on over to Patreon.com and sign up to Fluid Flower Media. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to Fluid Thoughts Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and FluidFlowerMedia.com. Now let's get back to the show. And we're back. It is now time for story time with Fluid. So far, this has been like my favorite part of the podcast because the podcast was really to focus on my writing and my voice. Like I always tell people I'm a better writer than I am a speaker. So I'm very excited that I get to share this part of the podcast with you all. So without further ado, here is Gilded Crown by Ephemena Imanafe. Ephemena, why your sisters got long hair, but you don't? See, that's why you ugly. You ain't got no hair. I thought Africans were supposed to be exotic and shit with long hair. You bald-headed as fuck. What's wrong with you? I never truly understood what the Bible meant about a woman's hair being her crown and glory until people constantly reminded me that I didn't have any. I thought I was defective or broken. Why couldn't I grow long hair? Like most little children, I didn't get a say in how I dressed or how my hair was styled. And like most little black girls, my mother didn't want to deal with the kinks and coils of my natural hair. I've known the clenching grip of a TCB no-lie relaxer before I could even form sentences. By age two, the fishy smell of ammonium thiglocklate had already instilled the fear of my hair melting into my scalp. One whiff of a just-for-me kitty perm was enough to singe my nose hairs. It was my initiation into black girlhood. No matter where you come from, whether an African from the continent or in the diaspora, no one was safe from the hot comb, conch, relaxer, Dominican blowout, texturizer, or even a jerry curl. We were taught to hate ourselves globally. Beauty is pain, my older sister would tell me as my mother ran the hot comb through my hair. The heat from the steam alone was hotter than Helios herself. No matter how much I begged and pleaded, cried and shouted, nothing stopped the torture. When I was five, my mother had just given me a fresh relaxer. My hair was still dripping wet from washing it out moments ago. My auntie and cousin came over to our apartment. My cousin had the curliest jerry curl my mother had ever seen. Ah, ah, yeah, how did you do this? Ah, oh, fine, oh, it's beautiful. The chemically altered hair texture made my cousin look like the most beautiful child in the world. Shortly after witnessing the sheer allure of my cousin, my mother went down to the beauty supply store and purchased a jerry curl kit and applied it to my head the same day. The same fucking day she applied the relaxer. I remember for a few weeks my mom didn't do my hair. I remember being free to play with my toys and not having to sit down in agony for a long time. Come to find out, she didn't do my hair because all of it had fallen out completely. I probably looked like I was stricken with illness from a distance. After a few months, my mother took me to a barber shop. 
I distinctly remember the feeling of confusion from the barber. I can still hear the snipping of the blades and the buzzing of the shears. When he was done, he handed me a mirror, and for the first time I had recognition of self and I was pleased. The burden of getting my hair done was over for a while. By fifth grade, I cut my hair several times. I was berated by the era of micro-braids, cornrows, singles, two-layer braids, and even still the dreaded relaxer. I was groomed and conditioned to believe that I was not beautiful without hair. By middle school, I was never seen without some form of hair extensions, whether it was braids or sewing weaves. My self-esteem was so low that I would miss days of school if my hair wasn't done. At a certain point, I acquired so many unexcused absences that letters were sent home to inform my mother that if I missed any more days of school, I'd be marked as truant and possibly held back a grade. My obsession with hair became deeper and more intimate. I recall a time when summer vacation was winding down and I needed money to purchase school clothes, but I also needed money for four bags of Zuri Remy Indian hair. <laughs> My mother told me that she only had enough money to buy my clothes. In fact, she was even waiting on my father to drop off the child support check later that day. When my father arrived, I begged him to give me more money so that my mother could purchase both clothes and hair. He told me he didn't have enough and jokingly said, you're going to have to choose one. Without missing a beat, I replied, I'll go get dressed. We can go to X Beauty Supply right now. My parents were stunned. I was willing to wear old clothes that barely fit anymore just to get my hair done. This overt obsession with hair and beauty fired from all cylinders. I got it from my mother when she complained about how tough my hair was and asking God, why couldn't he give me soft hair like hers? I got it from kids at school too. Darius, my school bus torturer for a number of years, was a 7 foot 12 inch ninth grader who could barely read or write his own name. He made fun of me every day, calling me a dark African roach and a bald head fat boy. I'd run straight inside, getting off the bus to cry in my room, asking God why couldn't he make one of my parents German or Spanish so that I could have pretty hair and light eyes. The not-so-crazy thing was, Darius actually liked me. He just couldn't be seen with, quote, no fat, dark-skinned chick who ain't got no hair, unquote. From every woven braid and sewn track, the hatred for myself grew. But all of that changed my junior year in high school. It was the last day of the semester before winter break. Six more classes and then I'd be home. All I had to do was take down my braids, wash my real hair, relax it, and then braid it again in order to look nice for Christmas dinner. My mother assured me that she would fix it during the week. Days went by and suddenly it was Christmas Eve. I reached underneath my headscarf and felt the disgusting, kinky, African new growth underneath my damaged, processed hair. I went to my mother to ask her if she was ready to fix the atrocity I called my hair on top of my head. But alas, her carpal tunnel was flaring. It made her hands so weak she could barely hold the sponge to wash herself, let alone put some braids in my head. She offered to part and section my hair into two large braids, some dookie braids, dookie braids with the brown gel on the edges i stood there in front of her and i let out a defeated okay i walked into the bathroom and locked the door behind me i looked in the mirror and watched tears roll down my dark brown cheeks as the voices in my head shouted at me how ugly and worthless i was telling me that no one loves a girl who can't grow any hair i remember one voice saying i was so hideous that even your own mother doesn't want to touch you 
At the time, I did not know these were manifestations of my insecurities at work. I wept like my soul had died and I was attending the funeral. Then all of a sudden, all the voices went mute, and I heard myself, my true self, for the first time. You were created by the Most High, therefore you are beautiful. Hair is so trivial, so cut it off. Peace, true peace that I had never felt before until that moment. I marched back into my mother's room and demanded that she cut off every damaged lock of hair. My mother and my sisters jumped for joy and celebrated with me. Should I just trim it a little bit until you're ready for braids, that way I can catch it? Should I just trim it a little bit until you're ready for braids and then that way I can catch it, my mother asked. No, cut it to the root, I said. And when she was done, I ran back to my mirror and saw myself, and I was pleased. Finally, the days of skipping school because of my hair not being done were gone. The shame and pain I felt for not looking like a girl of a mixed background vanished. I still needed to do more self-discovery, but at least this way, it was without the burden of having a christened crown of flowing locks. I came to the realization that I didn't need a crown to rule. My hair did not and does not make me. I am who I am because of the deep nature of my soul and my ability to change for the better. I am beautiful because I am simply a creation of the universe as we all are. That's it for today's episode, my orchids. Please tune in next week. I'm going to be really, really consistent about what days that it'll come out, and I'll make that announcement um, about what days I'm going to start (laughs) coming out, if it'll be every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Friday. Um, Bear with me as I'm still in the learning process of all of this. Um, But I hope you enjoyed everything. Please be sure to subscribe to me on IG, on uh, Patreon, on Twitter, all the, all the platforms, girl. And just know that we're in this together. And remember that you're beautiful. Until then, signing off, this is Fluid Flower. <laughs>